0: This is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up on the program today, we'll talk about a school district in Missouri that's teaching students how to serve up seven course masterpieces. The good news, our black bear population is growing after near extinction. Now, the bad news, of course, that means bears can be more on the move. Uh, But we'll talk with a bear biologist from the Missouri Department of Conservation who says this year so far... The black bears are tending to stay more in wooded areas and not venturing out into people's yards. We'll find out why. There's a film festival in Kansas City that caters to those who love horror flicks. We'll learn more about Panic Fest. Todd Schmidt is with the Missouri Department of Labor. Employers are trying to fill job openings with younger workers, high school kids, but there's been an uptick in complaints Anthony Morbeth
1: and Mr. Schmidt, you can get us started. You, as a department, identified a a, a concerning increase in complaints related to youth employment. What are these complaints, and and what sort of problems are we experiencing and dealing with in relation to youth employment?
2: Well, typically, it's uh, working uh, longer hours than they should or long or longer into the day uh during school they can work till seven PM and so we have occasionally uh complaints about the kids working till nine o'clock or something. And occasionally it is uh the job that they are doing uh, would be considered dangerous and I'm not talking uh they're oiling looms or anything like that, but uh, just, you know, they can't, uh, for example, a young kid can't be running a fryer or uh, chopping meat or something along those lines, so uh, typically the complaints have been about the hours, though, normally.
1: What I was noticing here, and let's talk a little bit about this data. It says uh, from data that uh, your department had compiled, it said from 2021 to 2022, complaints increased uh, from 19 to 67, which equates to about a 250% increase, which is uh, rather uh, fascinating. Is that because more and more people are get, were getting back to work from the COVID pandemic, or is this because um, jobs, uh, job employers and managers are having such a hard time trying to fill these positions.
2: I think it's probably a combination, and that's pure speculation on my part, but uh, I think a lot of it, it has to do, there's just not enough people out there applying for jobs, and so An employer that has a small restaurant or something is is desperate to get somebody in there, so they may have a a 14- or 15-year-old hired to bus tables or something. And so we've seen a a big uptick in the number of of youth, and when I say youth, we're talking 14- and 15-year-olds in the uh, employment area now.
1: So obviously, employers are struggling to fill available jobs with those over the age of 18. They're turning to younger workers between obviously the ages of 14 and 18 to fill this gap. So here's sort of an open ended kind of a question, and that is uh, what, in your professional opinion, could be or should be the solution to this besides trying to fill positions? Because obviously, positions are. Are trying to be filled but at the same time complaints are increasing because the uh, youth employment is getting younger and younger
2: well I it's pure speculation again on my part but I think uh, the fact that th- it is hard to fill those positions and so they're reaching out to to younger kids uh, I just saw uh, the City of Union uh, last year they dropped down to age 15 and This summer, they're going to hire 14-year-olds, and that's going to be kids working at the concession stand at the pool or picking up litter in the park, those type of things. But just filling the positions is getting really, really difficult for employers out there. So they're looking at all avenues as to what they can do to, to
1: cure that we're seeing, not just across the state of Missouri, but across the United States of America. It it seems like everywhere you go, you can't go 500 feet without seeing a business, whether it be a grocery store, a gas station, a fast food joint, or anything in between, uh, saying now hiring. And what I'm also kind of noticing is the fact that some of these places are so desperate to fill positions that they are increasing, I don't know, benefits, pay, better hours, things like that that just to sort of incentivize people just to fill the position because they are that desperate
2: yes uh, i think uh hourly rate is going up which is obviously is impacting the employers but also uh you're seeing things like uh work today get paid tomorrow (laughs) which for a a major corporation you know fast food chain or something that is a, a major undertaking for them to be able to turn around next day payroll so They are pulling out all stops trying to, to fill those positions.
1: And so if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Todd Smith, Division Director of the Division of Labor Standards for the Missouri Department of Labor here on Show Me Today. Youth employment increasing. Employers are trying to fill job openings, but in so doing, they're seeing a rather dramatic increase in complaints in relation to this. I also know, and let's talk a little bit about this, employing young people comes with additional rules as prescribed in state law. You had mentioned a little bit earlier obviously one of those involves hours how many hours they could work when they can work and things like that what other kind of additional rules uh, w- do employers and businesses need to follow
2: well uh, i would encourage anybody to go to our website in which we have that all laid out as far as the hours because those vary during school year and summer uh the number of hours per day varies uh, in those two different times also the types of jobs and we can't list absolutely everything but typically as i said earlier we're trying to protect the kids uh so you aren't going to have them running a a press powered equipment uh, so they aren't going to be in a in a manufacturing position typically this is going to be more your retail uh fast food those type of things that the deal with it
1: Now, I recall back when I was in high school a a really long time ago that um, if you needed that, if you were trying to apply for a job and this was, again, like I said, when I was in high school, you you needed to obtain some sort of uh, a a work certificate that you either got through school that was completed by your parent or your guardian. Is that something that uh, still needs to be filled out for anyone under 18 looking to try and uh, get a job?
2: Well, there's no restrictions for the 16 and up. Uh, for the 14 to 15 and 15-year-olds, 15 there are. Uh, we have a work certificate, which is, again, on our website, and it has to be signed by the parent. It has to be signed by the employer. Uh, saying i acknowledge uh, that, that this person is underage and i won't work in more than three hours a day i i won't uh, put him in a dangerous position etc and then it is also signed by the school district and that's to make sure that we don't affect that child's um, grades uh, we don't want to make we want to make sure that he, he's maintaining good grades and it, it doesn't affect his attendance, and and things like that. So actually, it's a three-part thing with the employer, the parent, and the the school district involved.
1: According to data that uh, your group compiled, uh, work certificates among 14- and 15-year-olds increased nearly 50%. 2021 to 2022 so obviously there's a lot of people trying to fill jobs uh, and, and you know i guess the one way to look at it is uh, that it doesn't hurt to start early i guess you could say um but also at the same time there's several rules that need to be followed both um uh, that that managers and business owners need to to follow and obviously the work certificate and things like that and, and of course, the difference between working from June the 1st to Labor Day and obviously Labor Day to June the 1st. So is there anything else that you wanted to add in regards to uh, talking about uh, youth employment increasing?
2: Well, uh, the one good uh, thing that we found, we went uh, to our Division of Workers' Compensation, and the number of injuries has remained fairly stable. So we, we take that as a good sign. Hopefully, our outreach efforts have, have uh informed employers that hey there's you know limits on what you can do with these 14 and 15 year olds That um, uh, fortunately we haven't seen an, an increase uh, certainly not of the magnitude of the number of work certificates or, or complaints uh, we haven't seen that in serious injuries that have to be reported to workers compensation so that's that's the uh the good part of, of this whole report here
1: and uh, my question to conclude this is, uh, I assume members of the general public can find this information readily available on your website?
2: Yes, uh, actually, if you go to youth Employment at labor.mo.gov, uh, that will take you straight to it. Uh, otherwise, you can go to Department of Labor's overall website, and and it'll take you a couple of clicks to get to it. But if you just go to Youth Employment at labor.mo.gov, it'll take you right to uh, not only uh, the the certification application, but also complaint forms, and and it will have all of the uh, do's and don'ts on it, on it there for, as far as hiring 14 and 15 year olds.
3: Show me the day. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life.
4: I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart.
5: Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Matthew. Uh, oh.
3: Sorry.
6: It's OK. I just need you to listen to me.
3: I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you, and what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest, no kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For
5: more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov.
3: All the talks we've had over the years,
4: loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro.
5: I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot or 40,000 pound bus. It's
7: It's our our roads, it's our our safety. safety.
5: Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
0: Welcome back to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Uh, springtime, uh, you can count on two things to happen for sure. Uh, Cardinals and Royals baseball and uh, Black Bears on the move here in Missouri. <laughs> and joining us from the Missouri Department of Conservation is bear biologist Nate Bowersock. Nate, uh, great to visit with you again.
8: Yeah, good to hear from you again, Bill.
0: Yeah, so they uh, they start waking up, they get out of their slumber, and they start, uh, they start hitting... Hitting the path, so to speak, huh?
8: Oh, yeah, yeah. Spring comes around, especially in March and April, and starts warming up, and uh, the bears definitely can uh, sense the the uh, the warmth coming up, and so they start looking for food after slumbering all, all winter long. And I don't know about you, but uh, if you got in the woods at all this last fall, but we had a lot of acorns this last year, and so there's there's still a lot of acorns out there for, for bears to feed on this spring, which is uh not uh, not usually normal, but every once in a while our, our uh, oak trees produce extra acorns and um, give bears a lot of food to have for the fall and then when they wake up in the
0: spring. Now, is that a good thing for us in terms of uh, the population? Does it kind of keep them from roaming around and, and looking for food then?
8: You know, it, it definitely um, provides natural foods that keeps bears more in the, the woods. And so, you know, we're, we're all about making sure bears are getting more natural foods than unnatural f- foods, such as, you know, human stuff. And so the more natural foods that are available to bears, the more likely we're, we're, we're to have uh, less human-bear conflict. So, this, you know, hopefully that means this spring we should have a, a quieter spring um, from our bears than in other years, especially when we have uh, lesser acorn years.
0: Black bear biologist Nate Bowersock with the Missouri Department of Conservation, and they like to remind you to be bear aware, especially this time of year. How many black bears do we have in the state?
8: You know, we, we just wrapped up another uh, estimate of our population. We're, we're estimating around 900 bears now in the state. Now, this is an estimation. It's, it could be a little higher or lower. But, um, you know, we have definitely a healthy growing population, uh, around a 9% growth rate, which means in about 10 years, we could potentially expect to see the population double in size. So, we're you know, our population is doing real well. And, um, you know, the, the resources we have available for them, you know, gives them just that ability to really expand here in Missouri.
0: Yeah, and there was a time there. Where that, those numbers were really low, weren't they?
8: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, between uh, over harvesting the landscape and over hunting, you know, our, we, we had near no bears uh, at one point in time. But uh, you know, between some uh, restoration work done in Arkansas and just you know letting the landscape recover, we've we've definitely seen our, our bears go from just a few to you know we're, we're 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 really climbing up there in the hundreds now.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. And I know that they're mostly in the southern part of the state, but you know, I, I've seen. Uh, pictures and heard stories that they they creep up a little bit further north i know we've seen them around jefferson city and um has that been a problem does that continue to be a problem are they moving further north or uh, are they they kind of holding back in that that southern area now because of the the food and the acorns as you mentioned
8: no, I mean, our, our bear population has really expanded outside of the Ozarks. And so essentially, if, if you follow the I-44 corridor, um, you know, they're they're found just south of that, but they are creeping northwards. And, um, you know, just as the population grows, bears need to expand into new areas. And so, no, we're definitely seeing more bears uh, on a regular basis, you know, bases around Lake of the Ozarks. And we see some of these younger dispersing males, you know, yeah, definitely showing up in the Jeff City area. We've had them up here in Boone County and in the Columbia area. And, and so, you know, there's, there's only, I, honestly, I think I looked the other day, there's only a few counties now that hasn't seen a bear uh, recently. So, you know, our, our bear population is doing very well. And I wouldn't say it's a problem. I think it's really exciting. Uh, you know, the fact that our, our bear population was nearly extirpated and now we're seeing them reestablishing, it's really great. And and the big thing is you know being why we want to tell people to be bear aware is that missouri is bear country and so we need to just be wary that bears are out there and so to reduce a, a negative interaction between us and bears it's it's just important to make sure you're securing your your garbage and if you got uh, animal food outside you know you're you're uh, you're making sure it's not available for bears or other wildlife to eat and you know if we if we can reduce those uh, those those chances for bears to get in contact with unnatural foods, the the higher likelihood we all can live uh, together would just fine.
0: The Missouri Department of Conservation reminding Missourians to be bear aware. And, you know, we've talked before, I mean, you see, People on social media, they post pictures of a mom and her cubs jumping in a swimming pool. Uh, Someone will open up their door and there's a there's a bear waiting for them. And they, they, you know, they come up with names for them and, uh, you know, they become very friendly with them. But for the most part, they're safe. But you have to be careful. and, And it's important to not give them table food. I mean, you don't exactly, want them hanging exactly. around, right? Bears, I mean, you, don't, you don't want to take on a, a big pet. That's not the, the point of this one.
8: No, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Exactly. Bears are wild animals. And, and like any wild animals, they can be somewhat imp- unpredictable. But in most cases, bears don't want anything to do with us. They're just looking for something to fill their bellies with. And so uh, keeping those human foods away from us is, is the biggest thing. And so uh, but that's why, you know, you need to contain your, your food properly. Cause you you know, sometimes we think of, of bears just being really giant raccoons, uh, whatever we might want to eat, um, uh, is what raccoons always seem to get in our garbage for. And that's the same stuff that bears get into as well. And so, you know, not feeding them is a really important thing. And, and if you do see a bear, you know, definitely don't approach it, try to find some sort of cover, whether it's in your car or in your house. And, and then it's a good thing to, to let us here at the department of conservation know whether, um, you call and, and get in contact with your, local agent or one of our damage biologists Um, it's important for us to know these things especially if bears are frequenting areas where people live
0: yeah and nate what do you do if you're out in nature and you're walking some trails or you're walking through the woods and you either come up or you see or you hear a bear what um what should you do
8: yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, if you do encounter a bear out in the wild, you know, the biggest thing is to, to stay calm and and definitely try to give that bear space. And you want to never run from a bear. That's the- the worst thing you could do the, the biggest thing is you just want to try to put some some space between you and the bear and figure out where it's trying to go in most cases bears want to take the easiest route they can through the woods and that just happens to be hiking trails and so the big thing is if you can slowly back up and and, and in some cases just get off the trail a little ways to give the bear room to move uh they'll just continue on their way uh we also encourage people if you are hiking in areas that uh, we have a lot of bear activity especially down in the ozarks um uh, to make sure when you're hiking just make a lot of noise so the bears know you're there uh, bears in most cases are, are scared, of, just as scared of us as we are of them and, and so making lots of noise lets them know that humans are around and they, they should just stay out of the area and, and so that's the, the best move it's just to try to put space between you and a bear and, and, and don't run though just try to slowly and calmly back away and, and just keep an eye on the bear so you know where it's going when you, when you try to get out of the area
0: Great tips to be bear aware Nate Bowersack thank you so much much for joining us yeah thank you so much for having me this is show me today the voice of missouri
3: because when you
5: talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
7: Email from school. about the incident today? Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on?
6: None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night too. Did you have a clue?
7: No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, We don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids.
6: Half the time, it's rumors.
7: It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust.
6: Dad, no kid is gonna tell an adult about that kind of stuff.
7: I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about.
5: For more information, visit underagedrinkingsamsagovernor we
0: We're back on Show Me Today. There are all kinds of film festivals across Missouri. Panic Fest in Kansas City caters to horror, fantasy, and sci-fi lovers. Festival co-founder Tim Canton is here with Marshall Griffin to discuss the festival's growth and uh, talk about new developments.
9: We're in our 11th season. We specialize in genre films, like you mentioned. Um, it's held at Historic Theater here in Kansas City, one of the last independent theaters in Kansas City, Screenland Armor. Um, and we've got about 100 films for you this year um, that range from you know short films to feature films, and we also mix in some fun uh, special guest panel Q&As, along with some live podcasts. And for the first time ever this year, we have a rewind video, kind of nostalgic VHS bar in the basement where we'll hold after parties and other fun things.
10: I don't want to be presumptuous, but uh, I was looking over the list of films, movies, and it seems like perhaps the big one, if I can say that the the big one would be Renfield. Would that be a uh, correct assumption?
9: Yeah, we actually have three headliners this year kind of spread out throughout the festival. And we kick off um, the festival each year on Thursday night. It used to be called our preview night, but now it's kind of our official opening night. And we're going to be screening Renfield, uh, Nicholas Halt and, and Nicholas Cage movie from Universal Pictures. Uh, and then we also have two other headliners. Um, one is called Sisu from Lionsgate, and the other is Medusa Deluxe from A24. So really happy to bring in some bigger studio partners this year uh, we always find that when we have those kind of big headline films like these it helps get eyes on our other stuff that's independent um, and we think that's really important to be able to get as many people in the theaters to see not only these big headliners like you mentioned with Brenfield, but also all of our independent filmmakers and the great stuff they bring in features and shorts.
10: You're listening to Show Me today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we're speaking with Kim, with Tim Canton. He's the co-founder of Panic Fest, the uh, film festival in Kansas City, which uh, which highlights horror, fantasy, and sci-fi movies. And to me, that's really interesting that there is a film festival that uh, focuses on that particular genre. Um, and you say you're in your eleventh year, or this will be your eleventh one. Uh, how popular has this uh, festival been?
9: yeah you know it took a while for adam and i uh, adam roberts the other co-founder and owner of Screenland armor um, to kind of get our footing in terms of what works best for the festival uh, both in terms of like programming um, how many days to run it uh, we kind of toyed with that the first year where we held it on two different weekends and uh, then we expanded and held it for i think 14 days at one point And then when COVID hit, we actually went to a hybrid model. So we're still holding on to virtual and in theater to allow even more people to attend. And we actually found that the festival grew, ironically, the most during COVID when we had the virtual option available because that allowed more people that maybe couldn't travel. You know, it's expensive for not only filmmakers to take their films everywhere and travel the the country, but also people attending that love the genre. So we opened it up to more people. Uh, with the hybrid and virtual and in-person aspect of it, and really one of the last film festivals to keep virtual as an option. There's not that many left, even non-genre festivals. So we saw growth in that aspect, both as a festival and kind of a brand, if you will. We kind of position ourselves as a a brand-first festival um, and try and promote our Panic Fest alum filmmakers all year long as we see their films you know, get distribution or when they start a new project. So we've been able to grow, I think, in that sense, to build a community around a brand, um, both with filmmakers and attendees that expect certain things out of us every year and kind of keep an eye on us year round um, and wait to build. You know, we just released our schedule and they're like, "Oh, I can't wait to build out my schedule and figure out what I'm going to go see. So, yeah, we've been able to grow through a community based approach, I think, um, not only with our attendees, but fostering filmmakers year round.
10: Tell us how virtual attendance would work, say, if I wanted to attend uh, from the comfort of my office or my home in uh, Jefferson City.
9: Yeah, so we have something called the Eventive Platform. Uh, it's our virtual festival. You buy your virtual ticket. Uh, you can go on panicfilmfest.com, click on tickets, and grab a, a pass there. And then the day of, you'll be able to log into your Eventive account and the films will be listed in there. Um, they unlock at certain times. So this year's a little different. Last year, we had the virtual festival in tandem with the in-person. And this year, we're breaking it up a little bit. So the in-person will be a Thursday through Wednesday. So it's April 13th through the 19th. And then the virtual festival kicks off when the in-person one ends. So you'll be able to start unlocking things when the in-person festival ends and start watching uh, on your computer, uh, I believe it goes on to Roku TV as well, but you can cast it to your to your TV. Um, so it's, it's actually really great. And I mean, even if you just want to watch on your phone, it should work there, too. So, yeah, all kinds of options there.
10: Now, those that want to attend the old-fashioned way, actually uh, be present in the theater, tell us about that experience. I, I got a, I saw a photo online. Looks like uh, it's it's not your typical theater. It looks like you have some big, nice, comfy couches and love seats to sit on.
9: Yeah, so uh, it's held in, like I said, a historic theater, uh, Screenline Armour. It's over a hundred-year-old theater in North Kansas City. Um, We have what we call a kind of a preview night that I mentioned before. It's on Thursdays. So everyone can come in, grab their badge. Um, They have great craft beers, full-service bar, food. Um, And then, yeah, go go in and and grab a seat in one of the the big kind of original theaters. It's about 260 people capacity-wise. And then we have another smaller kind of side theater that's about 65 people. So you'll go in, grab your pass. Uh, you can get passes for all the films that you want to see that weekend and and during the week. Kick back, relax, grab some food, and settle in for Renfield. And about uh, that includes forty features and about sixty short films.
10: You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we are speaking with Tim Canton, co-founder of Panic Fest. You said there's going to be panel discussions as well. Uh, with will that include some of the stars of some of these movies?
9: We always have filmmakers come in um, kind of throughout, even for shorts. We see a large, large uh, presence of filmmakers. So for that, we typically, you know, whoever attends with their film gets about a 10 to 15 minute Q&A afterwards. Um, We try and highlight the shorts, too. And and whoever's in attendance, uh, we have them stand up and kind of let us know if it's a premiere. But, yeah, we'll have some special guests like Barbara Crampton. You may know her from from beyond She's been in a ton of horror films and has had a resurgence, I feel like, even more recently. Uh, She was also on The Young and the Restless, (laughs) which just celebrated, I think, 50 years. So um, she'll be in attendance. Joe Lynch will be in attendance. Um, He's been kind of an ambassador of our festival, and genre fans will know him from a lot of work with Adam Green. Um, He did the Point Blank remake as well with Anthony Mackie on Netflix, and he comes in basically every year and host a special screening. So he he does screenings, he does Q&As, and we'll have Spider One in, who is from Power Man 5000, the band. He has recently started making films in the last few years, uh, and has world premiered two films with us now, along with his wife, Chrissy Fox, who co-writes and stars in them. Um, so we'll have a, a bunch of people coming in this year, uh, but that's just a name, two or three off the top of our head.
10: But uh, Nicholas Cage, probably uh, not expected to be there.
9: You know, it's funny. Nick Cage will not be there. However, I think for maybe the last five years, we've had films with Nick Cage in them. It's not necessarily that we're trying to do that. It just always seemed that the timing lined up for, for a film that he was in. Every year, we've tried to get Nick Cage to come, and we couldn't make it work. So one of these years, we're going to make it happen, but but not this year, unfortunately. <laughs>
10: Well, some of the panelists, I guess it's possible for some of the panelists to appear via Zoom or something like that. Is that happening? I'm assuming that there will be some.
9: Yeah. Typically what happens is we have some filmmakers that, that can attend, whether it's for filmmaking or just conflicts. Um, and they'll, they'll record kind of a pre-intro to the film and kind of introduce it to the, to the festival. Um, we do occasionally have some Q&As, though, afterwards. So, for instance, um, Chris McKay, who's the director of Renfield, Could not make it, but we'll be doing a virtual kind of press tour and he's going to do a uh, intro for the film. So we do some stuff like that from time to time. And I think we've got a couple of virtual Q&A's that will be post screening um, if they can't make it in person. So, yeah, we, we try and mix it in as much as we can in terms of getting filmmakers involved and for the fans, even if they can't be there.
10: How much assistance does has your organization and has this festival gotten from civic leaders, um, local tourism or economic development groups, the, the different branches of the Kansas City government and other, er, other nearby cities?
9: Yeah, so our biggest supporter uh, in the last few years has been KC Film, uh, Visit KC. Um, of course, they have a vested interest in the film community here, and, and they're great at trying to grow the community, find opportunities for it. Anything else uh, you think we need to know about about panic fest? Yeah um, tickets are on sale now. We just released our schedule so you can go check that out and you can see all the films that are going to be hybrid films so they'll play in theater and online virtual only. so if you know you want to stay at home and, and view it in the comfort of your own home you can see what you can you, what you can view there. Um, and the festival runs April 13th through the 23rd. panicfilmfest.com you can check out all the information there.
10: That was Tim Canton he's the co-founder of Panic Fest. Also, uh, a short film curator and short film director for Panic Fest.
3: Show me the day. Hi, Grandma. Can you
6: come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma. If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble.
3: I promise, Grandma.
5: They really do hear you for tips on what to say visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. that's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov this message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station meet ed movie buff animal lover safe driver
4: five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two if people knew what i know lives could be saved when i see a car trying to rush past a turning bus i get concerned You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. roads. It's It's our our safety. safety.
5: Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
3: Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is
10: making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement.
3: It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's
10: WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: A
4: work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself
0: and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit
7: aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
4: This is Show Me Today,
0: The Voice of Missouri. I'm your host, Bill Pollock. Glad you're with us. Uh, Wentzville School District teaches high school students how to serve up culinary masterpieces. Lisa Nelson talks to Caitlin Ryan, a senior in the culinary arts program at North Point High School. Caitlin says the program is much more than just baking cookies.
6: How many years have you been doing this program? Uh, Three years. Three years, okay. Now talk about what is like the coolest dish you have made in the
11: culinary arts program? Uh, We just did an ice cream unit where we got to create our own ice cream flavor. It was a lot of fun. I really liked the marketing unit and the baking unit. Okay, tell me about your ice cream flavor. I made a Blondie Bling flavor. It had Blondie brownies in it. It was like salted caramel flavored and it was delicious. I loved it. Oh my gosh, I am drooling. That sounds amazing, why did you go with those flavors? I wanted something that was different, like, you know, like the classic brownie and, but I was like, I've never heard of someone using blondies in ice cream and I like making blondies. And I thought the blondie bling sounded amazing. So I made like a blinged out pint ice cream and I won the competition in my uh, class. And so it was really good. I still make it to this day, even though it's not in class. Okay, where
6: is it? Because I'm ready to, to sample it.
11: <laughs> uh, it's in my freezer at home. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to make the Blondie bling? Not very long. We, it doesn't, you basically just have to whip up the ice cream and then like make all like the salted caramel, the Blondies, and then put it in the ice cream and freeze it. It's very simple. It takes like maybe a day. Okay, have you ever used liquid nitrogen? Because that looks fun.
6: I have not, it's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, it does sound cool. Now, okay, you've been going through this for three years. What has the culinary arts
11: program taught you? It's taught me so much. I've learned about all the basics of cooking and baking. I want to open my own bakery, so it's taught me so much for marketing and everything that I should do for my bakery. And the basics of like, it's like the foundation of what you need to know to be able to cook and bake and all the vocab (laughs) that you need to know, you know, what kind of like flavorings you need to put in stuff and what kind of fats do you need, what goes together to make something rise. It's definitely a science. It is a science. Okay, um, I didn't think
6: wide enough in terms of this goes beyond just the kitchen. It's actually coming up with like a plan to put this into action, so that's really cool. Talk
11: about the worst thing you've ever made in in the program. So I'm a vegetarian, so of course the worst thing we made was the beef Wellingtons. <laughs> I we just recently did that, and I only chose it because I got to work with the pastry to put over the beef Wellingtons. Um, it turned out okay, but of course I didn't get to try it. So I heard that it was great, but it wasn't. It's not the most fun to work with if you don't get to eat it. Tell me about the hardest thing that you've ever made, and why. Well, I guess it would have to be the cakes we just did because I'm a bit perfectionist about the way I make everything look, and so like my chocolate wasn't like hardening fast enough for me to put all like the whipped cream and decorating on it that I wanted. It like the cake part was easy, but the decorating portion like stressed me out, and it was hard um, because. I thought I wasn't going to have enough time. I ended up having enough time to get it done, but it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to look. But um, that's just me being a perfectionist and wanting my baking stuff to turn out perfectly. Yeah, talk about being a science. <laughs> okay, so like what's your favorite culinary show on TV? Oh, I'd have to say Nailed It. It's hilarious. I like Nailed It. I like all the Gordon Ramsay stuff and Cupcake Wars. Cupcake Wars is the best. I love it. What else do we need to know about the culinary arts program? It's a lot harder than just baking cookies. Um, it takes a lot of practice to be able to get where you want to get on the stuff that you want to make. Um, you have to know everything before you can do it. Like if you were to just like do the notes in class and then just go straight into it instead of doing like the work and knowing everything you need to do, it probably fail. Like making a souffle and it's sinking it. If you don't know, like Souffles, they cannot like last more like they're ready to eat food and so if you were to make them the day before and then they sink the next day they don't turn out as well um, those are things you need to know about baking it.
6: Caitlin Ryan a senior at Wentzville Schools North Point High School she's in the culinary arts program she's joining Show Me Today as part of the Missouri School Boards Association Day at the Capitol. For those who are not deep into culinary arts what flavors go together well and what flavors do not go together well?
11: I'd have to say like lemon and blueberry. They go very well together. I love doing blueberry and lemon. they You can do anything with them, I feel like. And if you were to put like, I don't know, uh, carrots and dark chocolate, <laughs> if you were to put that together, like try to make a carrot cake and then you throw some dark chocolate on it, it probably wouldn't taste very good unless that's something you're into. I don't judge but it, it wouldn't be my cup of tea. <laughs> so tell me what you would have at your dream bakery. Oh, I, I wanted to be a veterinarian for a very long time. And then I really, I just really fell in love with baking. And so my dream bakery is dog treats, cat treats, and like all of my favorite uh, baking items. Like I love baking cookies, I love baking um, cakes, I want to make wedding cakes one day because they are so intricate and beautiful, and like they, people love them because it's on their most special day. And maybe even donuts and coffee, just throw that in there because who doesn't love a donuts and coffee bakery? It's my dream bakery for sure.
6: So, do you have a little side biz going on yet um, with some of your creations?
11: Um, Well, I've had this business going on since middle school where I bake stuff and bring it to school and then it's gone within a heartbeat. Um, I wanted to start uh, maybe baking uh, some dog treats for my uh, dog place that I work at, Canine Camp Dog Training. I want to maybe start doing that. And I work at Stefanina's in Winsville, and I do a lot of like the salads and stuff and I'm just getting some hands-on in the baking world and in the dog world because that's what I want to incorporate in my bakery. That is
6: so great. What's your favorite technique? I guess my favorite technique
11: would be working on my patience <laughs> because in baking, you have to have so much patience, and that's like the best technique you can have because like, if you're making maybe chocolate croissants, You have to fold, you have to do the butter, put it in the fridge, you gotta let stuff rise. And like, the best technique you can have is patience. Very good lesson.
6: So have you made any other like wedding cakes? Have you like messed around and had like multiple tiers and
11: tried that out? I have made tiered cakes, they're really fun. Um, It's all about like, making sure it stays together, making sure your icing is good, um, having those dowels in the cake so that like they all stay up instead of falling over, because that sounds like a train wreck if they were to fall over.
6: Did your cakes, did they stay together? They did. I've,
11: I've done a lot of tiers. I've had one fall over, but then I was able to save it, but then I had to re-ice it because I had handprints all over it. So it sounds like you range from
6: anything somewhat basic like cookies all the way up to fancy like that's you're like the the full package when it comes to what you want to do in terms of baking
11: yeah that is that's correct I I've always like I just made a bunch of easter egg cookies sugar cookies over the weekend because I thought it'd be fun to work on my technique with royal icing because royal icing is such a pain in the butt and it takes a lot of practice to get to be good at that
6: so it sounds like you've got a nice thing going on in terms of, um, you've got guinea pigs to taste your stuff at school, so that's nice. Let me know if you need any help with that, okay? <laughs> any final thoughts before we wrap this up?
11: Uh, culinary is awesome. I suggest it to everyone, because as Ratatouille said to me, anybody can cook. There it is. Anybody can cook. can
6: cook. Some are better than others, some burn, but that's still cooking. This is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.
0: This is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up on our program on Thursday, we will talk with Maurice Ashley. He made history becoming the first African-American grandmaster in chess. And he was at the St. Louis Chess Club during the prestigious American Cup Tournament. Ashley Bird caught up to him, and we'll talk with him. He's encouraging schools and parents to introduce chess especially in underserved areas. St. Louis, uh, the mecca for chess. In fact, the World and U.S. Hall of Fames have been moved to St. Louis. We've had some of the uh, top chess players in the world. Susan Polgar, for example, one of the top female chess players of all time, uh, recently was the coach at Webster University. and. Uh, Uh, won national championships and uh, so obviously St. Louis a a big hub for chess and it'll be great to hear Maurice's story for Elisa Nelson Anthony Moribeth and Marshall Griffin I'm Bill
2: Pollock. thanks for listening
6: show me today